Well, the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from Genesis chapter 28. We'll read the whole chapter this morning, but we're going to pay special attention to verses 10 to 22 of Genesis chapter 28. Now, this is the story of uh, Jacob's ladder. I'm going to begin reading with the very last verse of Genesis chapter 27. Verse 46, and then we'll read through Genesis 28. This is God's word for God's people. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will be my life to what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, 
and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, your word is living and active because your spirit accompanies the preaching and the reading of your word even when we're at home by ourselves. The spirit enlightens our eyes and gives us understanding. We ask that you would do that for us now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past few weeks, one of the things that I've wanted to do with you is go through these certain passages of Genesis and just and demonstrate that the hope we have, maybe displayed here in our Advent candles, the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ does not originate with New Testament Christians. The hope that you and I have is something that goes all the way back to the fall of Adam. And even though they didn't have the, the content of revelation that you and I do, they didn't have Genesis to Revelation like we do, they don't have the benefits that we have and the fullness that we have them, they did have Christ. They did have Christ. That we read just this moment in in the Confession of Faith and the Catechism, that, that even though they, their, the, the substance, perhaps, of their hope was given to them in these promises, that their faith in Christ was no less real than the faith that you and I express today. And so I know that it, it may seem odd that it, as we go through these weeks leading up to Christmas, we're in the book of Genesis. It wouldn't have been odd for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In fact, I want you to notice something with me. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Some of you might say, oh, this is where we should have gone at the very beginning of the sermon, preacher. But uh, I just want, I want you to read a couple of things with me. Um, Read with me Luke chapter 1, verses 54 and 55. This is Mary, remember her Magnificat, praising the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit there. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So just notice there that Mary, even in her song, is reflecting on a promise fulfilled in her, but was spoken to whom? Abraham. Now turn over with me to verse 68. Here we're going to read Zechariah's prophecy after the Lord opened his mouth again and he was able to speak. Immediately he began to praise. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He began to pray, praise the Lord. Let's just read these few verses beginning with verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn 
of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You, now, as you're reading those words, think about Genesis 3.15. This is the one who would come, the promised son who would come, born with a sword in his hand to drive out the enemies of his people and crush the head of Satan. Now, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Did you catch that? Both Mary and Zechariah, in their praise to the Lord, noted that God is fulfilling a promise he made, not just through the prophets, not just through Micah as we read this morning, but to Abraham. Christ, in His incarnation, is the fulfillment of promises that go back thousands of years. Now, as we think about Abraham and those men, the the patriarchal era, uh, those men were faced with one particular challenge that we see sort of represented over and over and over again. The challenge for them was, will you live by sight... Or are you going to live by faith? Think about Abraham. God had promised him this son. We talked about this last week and looked at Genesis 15. This promised son, which goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. This promised son who would come. And the challenge for Abraham was, Abraham, will you wait for me to fulfill my promise and to give you this son in my time Or will you try to get the son on your own? And what did Abraham do? Well, he listened to his wife and he tried to get the son on his own. God challenged him to wait, caused him to wait. Why? So that it would be clear that the son Abraham had was from the Lord because he had him in his old age, when he was 99 years old. A similar challenge faces Isaac and Rebekah when we get to Genesis uh, chapters 26 and following. Before her twin boys, Esau and Jacob had been born. God said this in verses 25 to 22. Well, she noticed that these boys were struggling within her. They were wrestling within her. Esau and Jacob were. When Rebekah asked God, why is this? Why am I having such difficulty? Why are these boys rough and tumble even in my womb? God said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, aware of God's sovereign plan toward the end of her husband Isaac's life, Rebecca took it into her own life and into her own hands to try and obtain the promises that God had given her through Isaac. Rather than faithfully awaiting God's work, 
Rebecca trusted her own devices. It's interesting there as you read this narrative how many parallels there are between uh, Esau and Jacob and the fall of Adam. Rebecca, trusting her own devices, sought to deceive her own husband. How? By eating. And the result of it was what? One son seeking to murder the other one. The result of her working on her own instead of faithfully waiting for the Lord was an even greater hatred between the two sons. Jacob cheated Esau out of Isaac's blessings through sinful deceit. And so Esau sought to kill him just as Cain sought to kill Abel. To protect her son and so that he might find a suitable wife, Rebekah charged him, Jacob, don't marry one of these Canaanite women. Don't look for a wife in Pike County. Go north. So she sent him to the land of Haran. Now this was about a 600 mile trip that he would take presumably on, on foot, no dirt bikes back then. She sent him back to her home country, and with Isaac's ble- blessing, Jacob left. And this whole context then sets up this incredible scene in which Christ appeared to Jacob in the wilderness to assure him of his promises. Notice what happens with me as we go back to Genesis chapter 28. And this, this, uh, we're picking up with verse 10. Jacob is on his way. Esau made up his mind. I'm going to go get one of these women because I'm not going to be like Jacob. I'm going to take one of the women that is going to be a burr in my parents' side. I'm going to let my hatred and animosity be known to them. So Jacob sets out on this roughly 600-mile journey from Beersheba to Haran. Now, Beersheba, if you're thinking about a map of the Middle East, it's going to be below Jerusalem, just west of the Dead Sea. And he's going to take a trip all the way up just to where the, the southern tip, the southern border of Turkey, modern Turkey would be, to the city of Haran. And that's where he's going to go to find a wife. So, This is possibly at the end of the first day. He's been walking all day. Night is falling. Jacob stopped. He set up camp, and he laid down to sleep, placing a stone under his head for a pillow, which might seem strange to most of us. He slept, and he dreamed. And in this dream, what did he behold? Let's look at the text together. Go back with me at verse, to verse 11. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So this begins to sound maybe a little bit similar to, to Abraham. Remember, in Genesis 15, Abraham had a vision in the night and he saw the presence of the Lord there passing between the divided pieces. Verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, 
the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And he continues there to, to tell him, um, to, to repeat to him these promises that he had made to Abraham. I, I remember as a, as a young boy reading these stories together and just trying to imagine what this stairway or this ladder might look like that extends from the earth all the way up into heaven and how many rungs a ladder like that must have. But, but one of the big questions is, what do, you, what do you prop that ladder against? What holds it up there? And I'm thinking about that as a boy. And as you, as you come to read the story and delve more into it, Actually, it probably wasn't a ladder at all. Now, our English translations translate it as a ladder. In reality, it was probably a stairway. In fact, let me read to you what one commentator has written about this. The Hebrew word used in Genesis 28 verse 12 implies a stone structure like the embankment of a roadway. A stairway of that magnitude would require a huge mass of masonry to support it. We may suppose that the stairway resembled a ziggurat, such as archaeologists have found in Mesopotamia. In fact, they find these all over the world. What are we talking about here, a ziggurat? Well, it's a, think of a pyramid. Some of you are thinking, think of the Aztec temples where it's Instead of a a flat surface in the form of a triangle, it's a stepped ladder going up. In other words, think of this now. What the followers of Nimrod tried to establish in the plain of Shinar, when they built the Tower of Babel, what were they building? A tower that would reach into the heavens that would breach the rainbow barrier that God had set up and they could take over. The sin of Babel wasn't that men sought to connect heaven and earth. The sin is that they sought to breach heaven on their own. They thought they could do it by their own works. Some believe this ladder prefigures Mount Sinai because the Hebrew term for for ladder actually has the same numerical equivalent for the name Sinai. That's probably a stretch. Although in Exodus chapter 19, what do we see Moses doing on Sinai? Ascending and descending. Ascending and descending. Going up for the people to speak to God and coming down for God to speak to the people. Delivering God's message to the people. Well, what is the significance of seeing a stairway to heaven in the wilderness? What is conveyed to to Jacob in this moment? Well, after Adam sinned, heaven and earth were disconnected. Spiritually, Our hearts died within us. Our spiritual appetite, our love and yearning for the Lord our God died. And it was exchanged for shame and hatred. And physically, the principle of death was introduced to our body so that what do we read in Genesis chapter 5? And he died, and he died, and he died. What God showed Jacob 
is that he would reestablish the connection of heaven and earth. In fact, they were connected. What do we read in Genesis 28, verse 15? Notice with me what it says there. Verse 12. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now some will note, what are they doing first? They go up. And then what do they do? They come back down. There's a significance there. They don't come down and then go back up as if they are primarily stationed in heaven. The angels begin by going up and they come back down as though this is actually the place of God's dwelling. God is dwelling on the earth, not in heaven. This is what God is revealing to Jacob. I am with you. Since they went down, went up and then came back down, surely this must be the place where God dwells. God showed Jacob he is still dwelling among men and his angels serve as ministering spirits to them. But that's not even the most glorious part. Notice verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. Now, if you look at your English Bible here, you may notice that next to the Lord stood above it, if, if it's like me, there's going to be a little superscripted number maybe or a little letter next to stood above it. And that's going to direct you to look in the margin or maybe at the bottom of your Bible. And it's going to say to you there, or beside him. The Hebrew can go other, either way. In fact, many prefer to translate it that God is not standing above Jacob at this point. God is standing beside him. At this point, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, manifested himself to Jacob and stood beside him. Before he was joined to the body formed in Mary's womb, Christ appeared to Jacob to assure him of the covenant promises. And not only did he tell Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever he, you go, he demonstrated this truth by his appearing. You see, he is giving Jacob as much as he can give in terms of revelation to show him, I am with you. And to see the, the stairway to heaven connecting heaven with earth and the angels going up and coming back down, and here I am with you. Here, at the bottom of the ziggurat, Christ stood beside Jacob and affirmed his promises to him. Now, not only is there that, but I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, you notice this is, this is the beginning of John's Gospel, and we all know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Christ dwelling eternally with the Father in union. He was God, and He was with God. At the end of John 1, Jesus is calling His apostles to Himself, and He's called Philip and Andrew, and He's in this city called Bethsaida. 
And there he calls, calls Philip, Peter and Andrew, excuse me, he called another man by the name of Philip. And Philip goes out and he, he calls another man, his friend, Nathanael. Come, I want to show you this man from Nazareth. And, and Nathanael gets up and he says, nothing good comes from Nazareth. He says, just, just come on, I want to show you this man. And, and Jesus sees Philip and Nathanael coming toward him. And Jesus looks at him and he said, behold, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. Now, why did he say that? Because in Genesis 28, he stood beside an Israelite who is full of deceit. Verse 48 of John 1. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is communicating to Nathanael in this moment is that he is the fullness of what was communicated to Jacob. What Jesus is saying is that every blessing God bestowed on men since Adam's fall has come through Christ. Jacob, when he woke up, if we go back to Genesis 28, when Jacob woke up, he was fearful. Verse 17 reads, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jesus' incarnation revealed to us that the gate of heaven is not a place. It is a person. The breach that Adam created is healed by Christ. By the work of Adam, we are alienated from God. Heaven and earth are disconnected. But by the work of Christ... We are reconciled. In the moment that Christ appeared to Jacob, he had lied to his father and obtained a blessing through deceit. So here we are reminded that God's reconciling work comes to his elect by grace through faith, not by their own works. In 1971, some of you might remember that as a really good year, Maybe you'll remember it as a really good year because Led Zeppelin released a song entitled Stairway to Heaven. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant 
It actually didn't become a hit song until a few years later. Sort of the anthem. It's, I think it's number 30 or so on Billboard's top 500 uh, rock songs of all time. The beginning, some of you probably could sing it for me, but the beginning of Stairway to Heaven is a picture of this lady who has laden with gold. And she's so wealthy, she wants to buy a stairway to heaven. And she goes into town, and she knows that the stores are all closed, but because of her status, what can she do? She doesn't have to read the sign on the store. It doesn't matter, because when she gets there, they're going to open. And the picture that Jimmy Page and Robert Plant are painting for us there is that there are some people who believe that by their works and by their wealth, they can buy whatever they want, even a stairway to heaven. So they weren't meditating on Genesis 28. I'm sorry to let you down. But part of the message of stairway to heaven, if you can understand any of it, may be that men cannot buy salvation. There is no stairway to heaven for you to buy. This seems to be Christ's message to Jacob. This was a low point. He deceived his own father. And he went so far as to stick animal hair on his skin to deceive him. But it was at this point that Christ came to Jacob. It's not after he poured oil on the stone. It's not after he consecrated himself to Christ. It was before. Sin had separated him from his own family and driven him away from God's promised land. And it was at this point that God, in the person of Christ, chose to appear to Jacob and assure him of the covenant promises. These are yours. Why? Because I am gracious. So let's take just a moment to close with some meditations on how we can look at Jacob's response to Christ and think of our own in verses 16 to 22, just quickly here. Notice how Jacob responded. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? You see, those, those little words there, I did not know it, communicate so much to us, don't they? This is the effect of sin, that you could walk into God's house and not recognize it. The first thing that Jacob does is recognize the grace of God. Jacob recognized God's presence immediately after he awoke from sleep. He responded to God's revelation. He said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. This honesty reveals Jacob's blindness and ours. And yet God came to him. We respond to God's grace. As you think about the incarnation, your immediate thought would be, I don't deserve this. Here is the one who has come down to reconcile the breach that there is between heaven and earth. The breach that there is, the brokenness that there is because of Adam's sin and because of mine, and yet in the manger and on the cross and ascended right now at the right hand of the Father, seated on His throne is a manifestation of God's grace to me. 
Revel in God's grace. Worship the Lord for His grace. Notice what Jacob did in verse 18. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. That literally means in the Hebrew, house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Jacob worshipped God. He recognized God's grace toward him, and he worshipped him. And, and If there's one principle that I think God's people ought to know about coming to worship is that you come here because you need something, not because you have something to give. You, re- you, you revel in the incarnation of Christ because you realize that, that, that Christ was born to give you something, to give you living water, to give you the bread of life. And He says to you, come and buy bread without money. Worship Me for your sake. And then lastly, we see what Jacob did. He he recognized the grace of God. He worshiped God for His grace. And then, and then he consecrated himself to Him. Notice what he says there. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. Before David even thought about building a temple for God, Jacob did. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. The last thing that Jacob does is he consecrates himself to the Lord. I am yours forever. If, If this is what you promise me, who else would I seek? And this is our thought as Christians this morning. If, if, if Christ is the manifestation of all that God has given us, what else are you seeking? John Bunyan, in Pilgrim's Progress, there's this moment when, when Christian is, is weeping, he's mourning over his sin, and he's... He's running away from the city of destruction and and out in the middle of nowhere, a man came to him by the name of Evangelist. And and Evangelist is the man who sort of of took Christian and and he said, do you know where you're going? I don't know where I'm going. He says, well, do you see see that gate? He said, "I I think I see it. He said, well, go to the gate. And this morning, as we reflect on Jacob's ladder, what did Jacob say? This is the gate of heaven. Christ is the gate of heaven. You can't buy it. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. You simply go to Him. Go to Him. Remember His manger. Remember His cross. Remember His resurrection. Remember that He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Go to the gate. And you will find there everything that you need. The comfort and the consolation of all mankind rests in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless and praise You. We thank You so much that the grace that You've manifested to us in the coming of Christ and in His reign was first shown 
to a man like Jacob, who himself met you before you were even conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. You manifested yourself to men like Jacob so that to men like us, you could show your faithfulness to your promises. Oh Lord, bless us. Help us now in light of your grace to consecrate ourselves to you. To go to the gate where we, with the angels, might ascend to the very throne of God. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.